listening to the Futures Podcast with me, Luke Robert Mason. On this episode, I speak to bionic pop artist and futurist Victoria Modesta. Our imagination and our inner world is hyper-real. It just simply is. And the way I see all of the digital creation being made is that we are turning the inside of our brain into the outside representation in one way or another. Victoria shared her insights into developing artwork that showcases a post-human aesthetic, the challenge of constructing and managing online identities, and the role collaboration plays in prototyping future possibilities. You can view a full unedited video version of this conversation at futurespodcast.net. Now, I had the pleasure of interviewing Victoria in 2016 at the Victoria and Albert Museum as part of the London Design Festival. What struck me then was her unique design sensibility, one informed by a desire to playfully interrogate what a post-human aesthetic might conceivably look like. Her imaginary futures filled with cyberpunk, sci-fi and pop cultural references present environments that feel oddly familiar, but are entirely alien. By combining landscapes, soundscapes and bodyscapes, Victoria's work has the unique ability to make audiences question the limits of human morphology and often the very limits of nature and reality itself. So Victoria, I've always seen you as someone who truly embodies the transhumanist ideal of morphological freedom. Because at the heart of your work, there seems to be a desire to craft new identities, new bodies, and more recently, whole new realities. So how and I guess why has this always been so central to your artistic practice? It's interesting that, you know, you bring up the transhumanist sort of like ideology, because to be honest, the deeper that I got into my work, the more I sort of started realizing that I'm not as close to the whole transhumanist sort of ideology as one might think. Uh And there's a really big factor is that a lot of the explorations that I have adventured with have really stemmed from some quite deep human needs and desires and, you know, or even something as simple as feeling like the things that are happening are simply not fair. So Mm. there's a humanistic kind of approach to me that has kind of felt really important. And I'm I'm still kind of exploring exactly what my relationship is with the more generalized transhumanist idea. But I do know that there there is some kind of a more romantic, poetic feeling that I get when I think about this idea of morphing yourself and the world around you, you know, with the powers of technology and science, for example. And it's probably stems from my first ever visits to the MIT Media Lab, for example, Mm -hmm. and realizing that every single person working there, their medium is different, but the process that they go through creating something and exploring is exactly the same of a fashion designer or a person who's working on some sort of any kind of like culture or sort of expression and it hit me that the fields of creation are not as different as people tend to think and they don't cater such different sort of things in us than we think they do things have been sort of pushed into categories you know art is for enjoyment and inspiration mm-hmm. technologies for consumerism or tools but That's not actually the case in my experience. I think when you really 
sort of look at it and observe it all and take it all in with a sort of a non-judgmental eye, you kind of start to see that that's how things have been purposed, but that's not really the case. So with that in mind, I think that I have a kind of a, a really sort of beautiful kind of vortex of feelings about all of it. And that's kind of what I'm trying to express, really. Well, you're living you're living amongst that vortex. I mean, the transhumanist ideology is problematic. I think when people think of morphological freedom, they think of faster, better, stronger enhancement. But in actual fact, there's something slightly more nuanced happening there, which I guess you explore in a, in a lot of your work, which is an exploration of difference, the multitude of possibilities through which humanity can express itself. And it's always felt like really that's at the core of your interests you've you've hit the nail on the head and i think there's a certain kind of aggressive strive to kind of maximize you know and just sort of live forever live longer and Mm. all of that stuff and i think like for me i'm completely inspired all the time by the cycles of life and the natural world and and you know even the idea of death is like everything dies <laughs> at one point you know stars <laughs> galaxies people animals and um you know i i'm definitely interested in certain levels of spirituality that come with it too and so there is like a level at which i feel like we see eye to eye and then at one point it kind of loses me because i feel like it defeats the point mm-hmm. and some of the t- technology that's kind of actually like highlighting you know the possibilities of how in the future we could be interacting being able to have an ar or vr experience with someone that has passed away or you know your child or whatever like just just this idea you know when you touch on like an emotional streak with technology in the future this whole idea that you become somehow you get rid of these complicated emotional qualities of humanity when you advance with technology Mm. you know i find it kind of vulgar like i feel like it is vulgar because for me the experience has been very different you know understanding that my body doesn't end to who i am or where where i start where i finish having to delve deeper and you know understanding well if i'm not just my body then where do I exist and who am I? It's forced me to explore such kind of deep, interesting layers of what it means to be human that the idea that the productivity level and our abilities is is the main goal of advancement sort of feels primitive to me in, in some way. (laughs) <laughs> you've you've really spent time sort of using I guess your 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 body and your aesthetic practice to to showcase multitudes of ways in which we can be. And it, I guess it's been almost uh, five years now since our last long form interview. And, and that was really focused on your personal story and the exploration of the idea of post-disability. But since then, you've, you've really continued to hone those design sensibilities with the body at the core of that. And I think that was most clear in your recent collaboration with Rose Royce, where I think you said you became the personification of a machine. So uh, what can you tell me about this? work and and how it sort of influenced your thinking about your performative practice 
you know, there's always different qualities to to the work that I do. You know, there's Mm -hmm. personal kind of goals and explorations that, you know, I want to do. But also, it's like, I'm always thinking like 100 miles ahead of where we are right now. But at the same Mm -hmm. time, the physical work that actually still needs to be done in order to create historical little milestones is still really important. I've had various kind of ups and downs with should I continue working with prosthetics and tech wearables? Is it representing the sort of advanced kind of version of things that I'm imagining? And, you know, and to me, the, the, the answer was yes, because without that work, people wouldn't be able to kind of sort of see the little steps in the in evolution that was happening. You know, and the project with Was Royce was really interesting, you know, because you know, I, I get really, I get really, really fascinated with the energy that people are able to generate with non-biological sort of creations, you know, and mm-hmm. cars are really uh, the manifestation of that, you know, and of course, we're very different, but I love the idea of how it's like the most condensed, energetic sort of thing that we've been able to put in into like um you know a non-biological item and so when you know when I started thinking about the Rolls-Royce car it's like the first thing that sort of striked me is you know let's exist in parallel universes where you know I am the car and you know I am representing this kind of human spirit that is a machine that is actually in human form just from a creative perspective it was so fun because (laughs) I got I got my most badass creative team you know around the campfire was like okay you know what are the possibilities so you know we just continued working with energy and and apart from kind of 3d printed fashion and and the art direction you know we did actually invent some stuff like we Mm. we created the smallest tesla coil that you know sparked and powered you know inside of my limb which was also really kind of symbolic for me, this idea that, you know, you can have really quite dangerous sort of energy running inside of your body, mm-hmm. which is probably in reality not much different from the energy that's already with, within our body, you know. <laughs> Biologically, it felt really kind of beautiful to draw the connection between the man-made and the artificial and the body in the kind of way that wasn't so separate from us Mm -hmm. you know many people interpreted it in different ways but uh it's definitely super fun and and different for us well as part of that campaign as you just said there you you created the world's smallest tesla coil and how's that within your prosthetic limb and folks looking at that may go well you, you did all of this work to create this thing this physical object why not just use cgi and i guess victoria with with all your work why is it so important for you to actualize your visions out in reality out in the physical world Oh my God, <laughs> you're, you're like, that's exactly, I mean, yeah, it's, that is, that, that is the question, you know, I would make my life a lot easier, you know, <laughs> going, going down the CCG route. It, it's interesting, just very recently, you know, I, I've talked to a couple of people that really pointed out that, you know, the idea that I am real and that I'm a real person and I'm doing these things in reality 
just brings a completely different level of emotional engagement. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is, that is probably the most important thing for me. And this is why with all of my access to new media of, you know, augmented virtual reality characters and all of that stuff, you know, I have kind of carefully danced around it because for me, it loses touch looking at a lot of sci-fi right now. Mm -hmm. This idea that anything is possible with sci-fi, but then it's like, but what does it really make you feel? I think there's something about us that, you know, knowing that it's just computer generated doesn't really engage in the same way. My work in the post-disability space, however, I tend to sort of go hot and cold about it. (laughs) Is it defiant of, you know, my life's work? Is it not? It's kind of tricky one. But with that in mind, I think that there is a specific sort of language and execution that is very specific to me and you know and I do believe that if you're trying to communicate any kind of message to your audience that is you know somewhat challenging any of their kind of ideas or perceptions then you do need to create a a real narrative and a real Mm. story that's connected to the real world it's it's catch me too, and so you know, and I am right now really exploring the the virtual and the CG stuff, and you know, and I have really mixed feelings about it because one of my biggest questions of like opportunities of creating an, an AI clone of myself or a digital avatar is how do I make the digital Victoria feel like? She is something other than just a drawing, mm-hmm. you know, just a drawing. And I think that that's really, that is really important. And in a way, I don't make it easy for myself. You know, a lot of my projects that I execute take six months, sometimes, sometimes a year to bring to life. And it's, um, and, and quite expensive too, you know, because we're working mm-hmm. with experimental technology in a way that's, you really, <laughs> I really had to find the most uh, brave people out there in the industry who never say no. They're like, all right, we're going to try it, you know. So um, there's a lot of reasons, there's a, mm-hmm. there's a lot of questions, you know, why do I do that? But at the same time, you know, I have to say that the more I am in this space, the more I'm kind of understanding that the kind of specific slice of culture that I'm in is really important and everybody else is rushing ahead creating whole digital sort of lives in games and all of that kind of stuff and I think that someone still needs to focus on understanding physical life mm-hmm. augmentation and a kind of possibilities and identity and the digital because I fundamentally don't believe that you know, in the near future, we're going to have super fulfilling lives without a physical body. Mm. And also, you know, go maybe just touching a little bit on spiritual or psychedelic kind of experiences. Something that happened for me is, you know, I had a near-death experience when I was a child. I was seven or so, and I had a clinical death. You know, and I have some memories of that. And I just have these memories of just 
having visual, like I, having a visual but not feeling anything in my body at all and, and not kind of having any human experiences. You know, and later on in life, you know, I, I had some psychedelic experiences, you know, which kind of all also kind of reminded me this feeling of like, okay, there is, you can have an awareness of yourself in some kind of capacity without the physical body, but we're here and this is our vehicle right now and it's not clear whether we're ever going to have this experience again, having these all kinds of feelings that feel really raw and imperfect and uh, sometimes uh, scary or uncomfortable, whatever. And, um, and because of that, I think that it's really important to, to focus on, you know, how a physical body and our sort of conscious mind get to have experiences simultaneously. There's certainly a relationship there that we're, we're still yet, I guess, to understand. When you think about consciousness, the question is, is the body there to generate consciousness? Is it emergent property of the, of the mind? Or is consciousness something that's received from outside of us and all the body acts as is a, is a form of radio antenna into some form of collective consciousness? I mean, these are questions that we will constantly grapple with, and it feels like we will only be able to authentically grapple with them through artwork, you know, and in creating these performative promises, these are the ways in which we can really ask questions about what it means to be, what it means to to live and and what it means to change those things as well and, and try on new bodies and, and new identities. And, and with some of your prosthetic work, I guess, how does it feel for you to be so responsible for that vision of the future? Because uh, from the outside eye, folk point at Victoria Modesta, the performative promise, the character, the, the embodiment there and go, this is the future cyborg, this individual, <laughs> this image, this thing that I, I have found on the internet on Google image search when I type cyborgs, mm. this Victoria Modesta is the representation of what I believe the future human will be. And uh, Victoria, I know you as a, a squishy, normal human being, you know, you're, you're this, this, this yeah. artistic individual who has this kind of performative identity which offers a offers a promise out into the world. So I guess how do you deal with with having those two parts of your life and and having the responsibility for being um, what people perceive to be the quote unquote future human. It's it's a little bit of a head trip, you know, <laughs> <laughs> to to say to say the least and um you know, I'm I'm really grateful that there's a certain shift that's kind of happened in my life, in my personal life, which is where the kind of disassociation, the thing that's that I started doing after I moved, I moved from you know Eastern Europe and you know and I started engaging with a kind of art community and mm -hmm. subculture and stuff like that. You know, it's important to say that you know a lot of that stuff was really kind of came to existence because I felt deeply rejected by the normal world in such a strong way. You know, I, I mm -hmm. almost ended up at a um, children's home, right, when I was born. And the thing is, like, I didn't actually realize that that's what I was doing. I genuinely felt like, okay, so I don't want to be the person who I was born to be, so I'm now just going to create and I'm just going to be the creator of this vision and this person and the style and 
you know, and I think that probably a couple of years ago, I think when the Victoria Modesta that I did create, you know, reached a certain level of recognition or something you could say, you know, I really started feeling like that is kind of actually not me. Mm-hmm. Like it is part, of, it's a very important part of me, but it is also, you know, that is my canvas. That is, that is the artwork that I create. That is the ideas that I realized, you know, coming to life. So it was probably the most greatest thing that could have happened is, was really for me to start feeling like the creator and the, the project kind of mm-hmm. all existing with the, within the same person. And to be honest, what it really did is it allowed me to start thinking about the world a little bit more in a wider scope and the impact of Victoria Modesta on popular culture or subculture or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. That's been very interesting because one of the things that I am considering is really sort of like giving potentially birth to this digital Victoria that's going to come alive with a similar kind of relationship. So, you know, there's it's it's kind of complicated on a more practical level. You know, it's a love and hate situation, kind of feeling like you've invented something and you're the best reference for something is fantastic, but also equally just so lonely. Mm. For like a decade, I just felt like the only person remotely doing what I do and um you know and it's it's changing slowly and I think that probably the closest feeling of community that I felt was pretty just more recently just feeling that creative people who are working in the digital space are probably the most closest type of folk to me really mm-hmm. you know where it's a it's a it's idea that you you know you create you, you change the narrative and culture with visual art so that's been that's been really great, but um, you know I also think that the work is not done. You know, yeah. like I've broken through quite a few important milestones, but I also there's quite a few more places where I think Victoria Modesta, the bionic pop artist, can make an appearance. Well, that image of the the bionic pop artist has has been pulled by you from the future into the present and has become such a, a I guess cultural icon of what it means to potentially have a have a post human existence. And I guess my question is, what inspired your visions for this form of aesthetic? How have you been influenced by avant garde fashion, by burlesque, and and by sci fi? How have all of these multiple influences filtered through your mind to give us a very unique vision of the future you know my my references have been kind of somewhat broad you know when i when i was younger it was disney and mtv and hollywood movies you know very much that and the story was always very quite similar you know you mm-hmm. the character often felt that their idea of reality their idea of their body or their circumstances just did not match the person that they felt that they were, you mm-hmm. know, and ultimately became sort of the heroes of their own story and changed it not only for themselves, but for other people. So love it or hate it, you know, I think that being a little girl watching Little Mermaid <laughs> probably probably had a really biggest impact, really. Um, and, you know, I think by the time 
by the time I was, you know, my teens and I was in the subculture bubble in London, you know, the more avant-garde art and characters that were around me were really the inspiration too. Mm-hmm. And I'm very kind of like a little bit old school in that way where I loved the idea of how people just dedicated their entire lifestyle and sense of fashion and identity and how they conducted themselves based on a specific cultural belief. I think that mm-hmm. fascinated me. But also, you know, I remember being kind of 15 or so and watching kind of Matthew Barney and Alexander McQueen and being extremely inspired by the fact that you can just, through visual art, you can just transform you, know, you invoke so many strong feelings in someone and it's not really defined right what those feelings are it's just mm-hmm. these feelings of possibilities just expansive possibilities this kind of personal power that you have somehow but the you know the biggest thing that really kind of rattled in my head at the time was i don't want to be the muse like yeah. i don't want to be the girl going in the shoot with some creator like it was really important for me to be my own creator and to construct these different sort of imaginary scenarios and characters in a way that you know the ownership was really important and ironically the character ownership is something that's really important right now it's Mm -hmm. really coming up all over the place you know with stories of women going to the fancy you know avatar studios paying you know several dozens of dollars to get a scan of themselves or whatever and then fighting fighting to for the rights to have their digital you know version of themselves and you know on a broader scale should we be allowed to be anyone we want or the on the internet without the transparency required for people to know that you are experimenting and it's really interesting so in a way everything that comes up is has been coming up for the past like here mm-hmm. in terms of the kind of identity issues that are happening and questions i'm kind of shocked that i just intuitively was exploring a lot of these ideas so early on like i didn't know what it meant but i knew that it was important i knew it was going to somehow really have like a really strong impact on our future lives. So one of the different things about me uh, that I've learned from, you know, the academic circles, for example, is that sometimes the rationale behind some of the things that I've been doing maybe isn't written down or explained in a particularly sophisticated manner, but it doesn't take away from the idea and the things that questioning in a way. Mm, And I've heard your work described as retro-futuristic cyberpunk informed by 80s and 90s visions of the future. But for you personally, what do you feel your aesthetic is? What is unique about the way in which you present uh, this version of a future? I mean, it's really important to say that my idea of the future isn't universal mm-hmm. and i definitely don't claim to to do that you know i think that my aesthetic has been about collecting all of the different parts of the culture that i ventured into 
mm-hmm. and keeping the things that I felt were really important to me, to be honest, you know, and I definitely can say that I'm a cultural explorer. I mean, I really, really, from the young age from coming to London, just love the idea of test driving, understanding what motivates you to be in a certain way. You know, and it's interesting you brought up burlesque, for example. Mm-hmm. I've kind of never had anything to do with burlesque, really, my whole life, other than sort of, you know, having kind of the appreciation for the most distilled, old-fashioned version of femininity. You know, there's mm-hmm. something about that that I found interesting. And as a person who's very um, diverse in my sort of masculine, feminine sort of energy, you know, it was something that I really appreciated. So, you know, it is a combination. And I think that when people read my sort of background story or whatever, you know, they can kind of pick up little puzzles of different pockets of different things that I did. And I guess the answer really is it's more just, you know, authentically wearing your experience you know, and I think that that's kind of, that's a thing that I find really important. But that is also the thing that doesn't really exist in culture too much anymore. Mm. And it's a little bit more of an old-fashioned way of thinking, unfortunately, because back in the day, you couldn't be, you couldn't wear a leather jacket with studs if you weren't an actual punk. You just couldn't do that. And culture is very sort of disposable and it sort of comes down like that. You know, so I don't really know what that means, to be honest. I don't know exactly what that means to the future of us. But I do feel like my aesthetic has been extremely diverse and my references have been really diverse. And I'm just doing that thing, you know, and trying to be as broad minded about it as as possible. It does feel, though, that at least in the last decade, there's a bubbling up of this new aesthetic language for the future. And and it's been expressed in the sort of media that we're beginning to see on, on TV and in, in film. It's it's in the visual language, I guess, of TV shows like Black Mirror. It's in the music videos of Janelle Monet and the filmic work of Alex Garland, who's most well known for Ex Machina. And it's in the short films of Spike Jonze. And I guess it's been the last... Uh, you know, 20 years that Spike Jones has been playing in this kind of aesthetic space. And of course, in the photography of a collaborative of yours, Jora Francis, it, it does feel like there's an aesthetic turn here. And I, I just wonder how perhaps you would describe this, this synthesis of almost sci-fi imagery and how it presents itself in our everyday reality. I think that it's, it's extremely important that we keep exploring that you know Mm. because and and the thing that's being explored here really is is you know when we gain control over so many different aspects of our visual identity Mm -hmm. you know it's like what do you do with that i very often turn down interviews or talks that focus on body positivity Mm. because you know, I, I'm, I kind of, I'm, I sort of represent two sides a little bit, right? On the one hand, it's like be proud of who you are and, and sort of like own your identity or character that might not be seen popularly in culture. But at the same time, you know, I'm extremely pro being your own architect and changing your body in whatever the hell kind of way you want. You know, mm-hmm. 
So uh, I, I'm a little bit on, on, on the fence and I do believe that some of these aesthetics are kind of trying to visually capture similar things. It's like what part of the raw humanness do we keep and which part do we want to sort of augment and and kind of visualize as somewhat being influenced by digital technology. And there isn't a right and a wrong answer, you know, mm-hmm. in, in this situation. And, you know, and, and it, is, it is tricky, you know, because there's a level of sort of surrealism that appears that, you know, and obviously, you know, in more pop culture, there's a lot of negative feelings around that and this idea that, you know, there's a lot of encouragement of people changing themselves for peer pressure and things like that. And I don't know, it's a really kind of tricky part because, you know, I personally get really inspired by the ability of playing around with your image and your physical body because why shouldn't you, you know? That's kind of like the only thing that you own (laughs) ever in life, you know? So the references that you mentioned, there is definitely... There's definitely a certain a certain kind of aesthetics, and and I I do think that it's a lot of it is very much just us trying to get our head around what does our reality look like when you know when we are advanced with technology and when retaining some some kind of human qualities. I think mm-hmm. you know I think I think that's where it sort of lies. I do think that it's a very interesting space for me personally now that I have. I feel like I've executed quite a lot of those specific projects. I'm now exploring, bringing in a little bit more of the human back into Mm -hmm. it and pushing the digital elements through some other areas. Well, it does feel like there's a slippage. There's a slippage between the virtual and the real because the aesthetics of virtual environments bleed their way into your artistic practice and people look at the thing and go is it real is it is it virtual is it cgi you know what part of this is actual and what part of this is uh, virtual and, and the fact that they can't tell and sometimes what they think is virtual is actually actual is is interesting <laughs> in its own right and I, I guess then it becomes an issue of how do we deal with living an everyday reality, partly through screens in hyper-real environments, and then having to deal with the fact that we are then returning to uh, quote-unquote real environments that are very disappointing in comparison to the, I guess, Instagram realities and digital realities through which we could choose to spend our time. And this this idea of the virtual and the real bleeding back and forth, I guess, kind of became clear when we had the LA fires, I think it was last year, and everybody was comparing that to the orange glow inside of Blade Runner. And of course, your work, your spike prosthetic limb, that's inspired Blade Runner aesthetics. It's inspired inspired SpaceX and, and, and much more. And I guess, what sort of responsibility do we have when we walk that tightrope between creating these, these provocations and then finding them present themselves in actual reality? You know, the, the line between fiction and reality, sci-fi and reality is, is, is so porous in, in the 21st century. It is. It is super porous. And, um, I mean, also time is telling right now that, you know, we as humans, our imagination and our inner world 
is hyper real. It just simply is. And the way I see all of the digital creation being made is that we are turning the inside of our brain into the outside representation in one way or another. Yep. So I think it's important to to note that, you know, that is part of being human is this idea, you know, even in the most ancient writings, you know, you just see people fantasizing about things, you know, and I think fantasy has just been such an important part. I mean, one could one could uh, argue there's a couple of really globally accepted important books out there. There are fantasy, you know. Mm. So the responsibility with the art stuff, and, you know, and this is something that I was talking to um, uh, Nadia from Pussy Riot over the last couple of weeks is, you know, this idea of, of art as activism or for social change. And the reality is, is that, you know, I think that more artists need to get into the space of exploring future scenarios because mm -hmm. there is a place for all of us. There's a place for depicting the future that seems kind of almost real in terms of just like just close predictions there is a way of showcasing the dystopian future of what could happen and the fact that we should be aware of it. Mm. There's a place for creating uh, alternative ideas which, you know, people have never thought about or just a positive future. So there is a, an option to do all of these things. And, of course, when sci-fi becomes real life, you know, in a negative way and that things are catching up and these things seem kind of, dystopian it is frightening and you know but at the same time you know i know just from personal experience being on panels and stuff it's like the majority of people working in the futurist field are trying to understand how to create things like from the ground up have mm. different values and i might be like a, a good visual reference for that but I also definitely don't represent the entire scope of that or post-disability, you know, and I think it's really mm -hmm. important. But, you know, also I think that generally one of the most positive things that I have found over the past like five years since we spoke is the idea of how much community of innovators, for example, or people who are just working on futuristic concepts for our culture you know, how much desire there is to connect with other people and mm. not make these decisions alone. You know, of course, there are really terrible examples out there, you know, with huge companies that just seem to be impenetrable in their yeah. destruction of the planet and, and everything. But there is also a lot of desire to be able to create impact in a positive way. You know, I was talking about the prototype video kind of recently with somebody and and you know always kind of how there is a you know it's a fairly aggressive visual right yeah. so people find it kind of scary or whatever and the thing is is that one of the things that I've found actually especially kind of living in the states and feeling you know the political tension and the things that have been happening is that the force of fear and anything bad is generally mm. so it's so aggressive. It's so aggressive. It's it's like an arrow just pierces through, you know, and it, it has this kind of specific thing. And 
when we think about positive impact on the humans or the world, you know, it's like this idea that, you know, it needs to be soft and it needs to be somehow presented in this mm. kind of glowing bowl, you know. And I, over the years, just so I've, I've been kind of questioning, I'm like, um, why is my work so kind of aggressive, you know? And, and I realized that, you know, I think that we have to be aggressively positive these days. It's this, mm. the counterpoint to the negative politics that are happening in the world and the bad things that are happening in the world is essentially a lot of it is just actually just artists and people who are creating the counter movement to mm. that by making sure that the alternative messages are heard loud and clear and that was the principle you know with prototype is that it has a feeling of clearing the stage for the message that I'm about to deliver that whatever misconceptions anyone had about what it's like to not have a biological limb, just mm -hmm. wrong, simply wrong, simply just poof, disappear, you know? So I think that honestly, it's in my opinion, this is going to be the most powerful time for art and creation. And I know that it feels really hard and it doesn't sort of feel like that's going to be the case, mm. but I really feel that that is the case because, you know, this kind of, collective suffering that we've all been undergoing there's a sense that people's feelings and motivations are really woken up you know they're they're awake and and i think that people are going to be and are creating talking about issues that are really important to them in a completely new way you know mm -hmm. it's like somehow over a sort of a spell the amount of people who are becoming artists with activism angle have just you know i just feel like this just sprouted out of nowhere you know which is which is amazing because you know the situation reminded us that there are important human qualities and issues and feelings and all of that stuff is real and mm -hmm. you can't be constantly kind of removing it from culture that's here it has to be present so i i feel very rejuvenated in that way and i and i and i really feel it kind of around me at the moment well that's the fundamental power of art isn't it it must be so weird for you to see your dreams your concepts your imaginings bleed into reality have such cultural impact on how we think about cyborg bodies or post-human bodies or, or post-disability bodies but the reality is by creating these images they can really affect the future. And it's always fascinated me how Black Mirror was originally a, a noun. It was a name for a TV series, but it has so quickly become a verb. People look at things out in present reality and go, oh, oh, that's a little bit Black yeah. Mirror. So these, yeah. these artistic ideas, these provocations, these presentations through a visual, through sound, through film, whatever it is, that they, they truly can affect the present and generate a certain type of future. That's the impotence of a futurist. They just provocate and try and predict what may actually come to pass. You're more a propagandist. You create what may come to pass. And then the power of self-fulfilling prophecy kind of just allows that to, to, to happen happen naturally. That, that's, a, that's an incredible power that artists have, isn't it? 
Uh, absolutely. And, you know, I was just reading a, an article yesterday, you know, about how everybody working in design is essentially a futurist. And, mm. you know, and this is more of like a kind of basic analogy, but, you know, if you can imagine it, like the chances are it's probably possible. Like yeah. this is, this is as simple as that. And, you know, and I, and I think that the most powerful thing you can do is to actually create the thing that you imagine. And that is exactly what's been happening with some of the work pieces that, you know, we've been, we've been making. And, mm. and honestly, I think that that has been the most disturbing kind of an awe <laughs> feeling for me. Yeah. But, you know, I really cultivated my imagination in my darkest time <laughs> wow. when I was in hospital and I didn't have an outlet. And so I just, you know, I felt the realness of my inner world. I felt the realness of my imagination and I felt the realness of and the kind of the power of when I generated a certain idea, how actually you know, that's like giving birth to something and it might take five years or 10 years or 20 years for that to become a reality, but it's possible. And that is probably the only kind of responsibility angle that I think is, is important, you know, mm -hmm. because people with positive thoughts and with negative have imagination. And so therefore different things get kind of born yeah. into the world this is the biggest challenge for all of the digital and technology aspects of our culture that we're creating right now is that people are starting to question it's like who wait so so the algorithm is actually just a computer representation of the person that created the algorithm who mm -hmm. is that person what were their thoughts on life and other people? What is it that they gave birth to? And why is it dictating like so many people's things? You know, the biggest problem that's happening is that people are underestimating their own power. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but that that's like, I mean, we could talk about it for ages, but, you know, it, it is, it does ultimately feed into the illusion of everything being really separate and not being this connected ecosystem. You know, and I, and I and I feel like the people that I'm around a lot, you know, do recognize that it, it is an ecosystem and do recognize the need for sharing ideas and coming together and being able to impact things from an intentional point of view, which is it's hard. <laughs> That's what fascinates me about the aesthetics of some of the NFT artwork, especially Beeple's artwork, which really just feels like culture vomiting a bunch of references onto a, a virtual environment and creating these very weird hybrid um, versions of uh, Trump plus Toy Story plus Disney plus um, environments of war plus the flags from Korea. There's these just weird images that we're beginning to see, which come from, I guess, a cultural confusion about oh, how 
uh, malleable reality is. And it does feel like your work is slowly uh, heading towards this creation of reality. And I've, I've, with my tongue firmly in my cheek, I keep calling it the uh, Modestaverse. That it feels like the next step for you is to really start exploring how much of reality you really can grok. Because at, at one point it felt like you were going into a metamorphosis of human instrument hybrid, but it actually feels like now virtuality provides so much more opportunity. So I wonder, how are you thinking about the virtual space? And, and when you're early on sort of cognizing and, and creating these, these avatars, are you thinking about them in relationship to your body now? Will, will the Victoria Modesta avatar be a bipedal entity? Will it be a thripedal entity? Does it necessarily need a body as, as traditionally understood uh, human bodies are? Could it be something entirely different that you're creating? What drives me is a more bigger fundamental question, right? Of mm -hmm. how do the borders of our post-physical identity really like stretch? Like, well, How far does it go? And that's been something that's been on my mind for the longest time. And, you know, so obviously I've been exploring that with with the physical reality and there is still so much more to explore mm -hmm. i can't ignore the digital space because i feel like ultimately the whole concept of extending yourself digitally is a form of an identity prosthetic it's a digital prosthetic mm -hmm. so i'm i'm interested in exploring it from that perspective and what does what does this digital prosthetic mean to me what is it for what does it do you know does it have different qualities is it out there so it can do other things that I can't do or want to do so you know I I intend to do a series of projects around digital identity that you know are very nicely supported by uh, conversations around it with different people from different sort of fields so mm -hmm. to say because that's what I think needs to happen right now I think we need to delve into it and there is of course there is so much possibility for just you know pure entertainment and, <laughs> and you know which you know you never have to forget that because you know i do uh -huh. i do believe that you know somewhere between entertainment a cool demo and some sort of like a social impact thing is really kind of where i'm at you know because if you're gonna you're gonna spend you know, thousands of dollars of making something happen. Like, uh -huh. you know, it needs to have like a three-pronged effect at, at the very least. You know, also, it's important to say that, um, I mean, obviously Beeple is a very specific example. And I feel like one of the reasons why people are resonating with some of the NFT work at the moment is that it is such a, you know, it's a crude, but it's a very accurate description of how they've been feeling and mm. there is a kind of emotional resonance resonance that's happening and that is very important i think the the emotional impact and emotional value is potentially the thing that is being captured with this nft concept and you know i can't say that it's 
purely that, you know, mm-hmm. because I think there is some work out there where you just kind of go, well, I don't really know. <laughs> but it feels like everybody is is trying to enter that space of being a creator inside of the virtual world. And, and, and because the tools are so accessible and I'm, I'm thinking specifically of Instagram, but unlike you who has such a healthy relationship with the separation between what is artistic output and what is the real Victoria, Instagram influencers have a much more difficult relationship with how they generate and create their realities. And we're beginning to see all of these Instagram posts, and we always have since they've released the app because it has filters, but increasingly so, the quality of manipulation is getting higher and higher. And I'm not talking about the manipulation of the person's skin or the manipulation of that person's body, but also the manipulation of the reality around them, where they're photoshopping um, clouds into the sky and pink clouds at that. They're photoshopping birds or photoshopping um, rainbows or all of these versions of how they wish that image looked. And these realities that they're putting out in the world are being sold as a form of realness. But in actual fact, they're purely fictional. And then you have to contend with the sadness that comes from an inability to live in a world that has this Disney-like aesthetic. So I guess my question is, and I know you've worked a little bit in this space, how do people carefully navigate these virtual worlds so that they don't have to deal with the sense of of loss? How do they interact and create these things while maintaining their wellness and well-being? Because the real re- a real problem of some of these uh, digital creators is there's, there's a sadness that their, their lives aren't as beautiful and aesthetically pleasing as the images and the presentations of themselves that they put online. So I guess, how do we mediate that? To be honest, I feel like it's the, you know, and this is, this comes to like, you know, could you be anyone else that you want on, on, on the internet? You know, well, when yes, you have but the when capability. You, you can be, but when you realize you, you can't actually be that person in reality, you can't always have the smile on and you can't always have mm-hmm. the perfect hair and, and mm-hmm. the sun always isn't always shining. It might be in your virtual representation of yourself on Instagram, but when it comes to the reality, you've got the bills and the taxes that you've got to pay. You've got, you've got to deal with family sure. issues that you may have. There's there's a multitude of things that are hidden in this process of creating absolutely, a absolutely super hidden. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a, you know, there's a, there's a couple of things like from a, just just the perspective of you know impact of seeing images like that to other people. Yeah. You know, I I think that not having an idea that things have been digitally manipulating is manipulated is really not great. For example, one of the things I love about uh, Instagram filters myself is that most of the time you can clearly see what filter the person has used Hmm. and you're aware. You're like, you know, you know that, you know, that person probably just woke up and they don't have their hair and makeup on and they clearly are using their filter. You can try that filter as well. You can really clearly understand and this is what I believe, you know, I'm really hoping that with a with this idea of valuing digital artwork in any way might happen is this idea of understanding what is digitally enhanced, what is clearly being worked on, what is a digital fantasy, you know? Mm-hmm. Because I think that 
people selling fantasy as real life is dangerous. You know, it, it just simply, it sets like just very unrealistic expectations. And of course, that's, that's not great, you know, but, you know, the point of, of just like an in a, you know, a personal sort of world that you, you kind of, you know, the issue that you brought up is that this is why I believe the sooner we start integrating and understanding the kind of amount of care that we need for ourselves in the physical world and the digital world, mm-hmm. and the more clearly we're going to start talking about it, the better it's going to be because you can't make up for the lack of unresolved emotional issues that are happening in your real life with the digital world. Like you just can't, you, you know, you might at some point uh, have some sort of moments where you feel like it's, it's alleviating something, but you can't, you know, I personally, the, the deeper I got into my, my fantasy work, Hmm. you know, for the past five, six years, the deeper I got into my work with psychology, with spirituality, with working through issues with my body, you know, just understanding muscle memory and and trauma memory, your nervous system and things like that. So, you know, for me, I've been exploring it very hand in hand because, you know, of course, there's a, there's a chance that, you know, this digital space is just going to be populated with a lot of us with our unresolved emotional issues and mm and egos and fragments of ourselves that feel like, you know, oh, well, we'll leave, leave the other parts behind because this part is having a really great time. But I don't really know that that's any different from, like, real life. People get absolutely obsessed with their work or, you know, substances or certain life behaviors which just make them feel like they're escaping from who they really are. And... The biggest thing that I've learned after sort of realizing how the process of why Victoria Modesta as this almost sort of supernatural character was Mm. born was realizing that nothing will substitute or bring you peace until you have sort of developed this intimate accepting relationship with who you are here because you can definitely grow and change and like everything is malleable you know all the Hmm. things that you think you're into might be an illusion but there is there is yeah there is a sense you know the the relationship you develop with yourself is really just fundamental and the only the only positive thing that I kind of found with this sort of like clubhouse chats and stuff Hmm. is I'm actually noticing how people are different or, or or are being themselves or maybe aren't being themselves but there is a, there's a certain kind of truth that starts to come through in those conversations mm. that's kind of i don't know it feels it feels fresh it feels different to typing i have to say there is something that feels different to typing and a positive note is that people are on a mass level starting to experience how there is an inner them and then there is a physical them Mm -hmm. and how their body could be sitting in exactly the same room for most of the day and then their inner world 
you know, you're just having a whole life. I mean, you're just, uh, you know, there's so many things that are happening. You might as well be, you know, sometimes in a combat situations when there's like problems happening or, or positive social situations. And I think that collectively people are starting to go through experience that I had with my amputation of just of this feeling of physical self and the non-physical self. And I personally think that that can only yield good things because for me, it's been like transcending. It, to me, it's, it's helped me see past so many weird delusionary schemes that are happening in the world and like standards and judgments. So I, I think that we are kind of taking like a little bit of evolutionary leap right now somehow. And I think it's just happening. And I don't really know that kind of how we, the kind of perspective that we have in it. I don't really know that this is going to change it. I think it's happening. Like, you know. Well, I, th I think, <laughs> Victoria, you, you got it right before anybody else in a funny sort of way, because you understood that the way to be honest is to create the character, to be honest about the fact that you can create multiplicities of identities and they don't have to have a coherent narrative. They can have divergent narratives. And that feels like almost what you're getting out with the avatar. It's like, how much of it do I need to be responsible for once I create it and allow it to live in the world? And the same with the image of Victoria Modesta, the post-human bionic pop star. How much do I need to be responsible for that version of my identity now that it's out in the world? And the the end of the day, the origin that is creating these different provocations and different versionings of oneself is the only thing that you need to make sure that you spend the spiritual and, and mental time on to ensure that it is healthy to produce these artistic provocations. And, and the way in which you maintain that, I guess, mental health is by being honest with the fact that you have no desire to preserve these things as soon as they're out in the world. That is just a version. That's just a version. You can be very laissez-faire with the, the way through which you um, you present yourself out in the world. There's a Italian science fiction book, um, One, A Thousand, A Hundred Thousand, and it's about a guy who goes crazy because he suddenly realizes that his mother's understanding of who he is is different from his understanding of who he is, is different from his friend's understanding of who he is, is different from the guy in the coffee shop's understanding of who he is. And by trying to control all these things, trying to control the multiplicity of our identity, that's where the madness comes from. There's so much more fun, as, as you've done, with just relinquishing that and allowing it to have its own life out in the world. Yeah, I mean, I have to tell you that, you know, there is no easy way to have that experience, you know, and I think that, you know, the breaking of the illusion of like feeling really, really certain of who you are or like what you represented, you know, the breaking of that illusion for anybody. I mean, some people I think that can't actually handle it if they're not fully prepared. And mm. I think this is why the pandemic was extremely hard for some people because all of a sudden nobody was telling them what time to get up and what time they have to be somewhere. There is a certain advantage to being a kind of an entrepreneur where you 
feel responsibility of the fact that no one's going to come and get you and tell you how to be at any point. And, you know, you really kind of very uncomfortably realize exactly what your responsibility is and exactly who you are and stuff. And um, so there isn't, there isn't an easy way to do it. But honestly, you know, when it does happen, it is, it is great. And, you know, and I came to a certain form of madness too, you know, I think in 2019, being the face of Rolls Royce and being, you know, the, the bionic showgirl in Paris and, and doing all of the things, you know, I kind of was just like, okay, I was like, I feel like I have lost the control. I feel mm-hmm. like I've lost the control. I, I've lost kind of the certain freedom where I've created this thing and it just so happens that I physically have to go and fulfill that thing's mission, right? It wasn't comfortable and it wasn't great, but also, you know, I was like, okay, I was like, well, the only way is to, you know, it's just a matter of time for me to to be able to step back and to be able to think about, you know, okay, well, we've learned all these things from the experience, what do we do now? And it's also, it's very different to just kind of alter ego too. Mm. You know, I really genuinely hope that people during this pandemic have had the chance to think about what is important to them outside of who they feel they need to be to other people or in the world. I think that the more kind of understanding there is about that, you know, one of the most important things that happened to me when I joined, when I became a fellow at Mighty Media Lab was the kind of coaching that I received Mm -hmm. that was around making you understand that if you don't understand your core values, if you don't follow and structure your life around your core values, you are in for a miserable life and you mm. are literally not never going to be able to fulfill your potential. And you're just going to just be lying to yourself, right? And that was one of the most important things. Like, you know, is what I'm doing right now ultimately serve the things that I believe in? And through that method, you are able to kind of create, you know, there's so much hype around authenticity and authenticity. What does that mean? But there is, there is an, an ability to be authentic to yourself. And it might be shaped by your the experiences that have happened to you and your conditioning to some point, but it is still authentic and so many people don't actually even get to that point you know this is feeling you need to be doing some things for a certain way and you know not everybody has that privilege to not everybody has the privilege to do that but but I think that ultimately that is the biggest lesson that I'm like taking to the the future work that I'm doing with me is you know keeping the values that I know are going to be you know, going to yield longevity for me and my interest and my passion because it just means that it's, yeah, I might, I might be great doing certain things. <laughs> I might have some specific skills, but that doesn't always mean that that's like your life mission, Yeah, you know? Although you've, you've hit on something there, which is, is about collaboration. Victoria Modesta Media Cyborg is not the product of one individual. It might be represented by the singular artist, but in actual fact, 
all of your work is thanks to and because of the way in which you collaborate with so many individuals from Sophie de Oliveira Barata to the, the ARC folk who helps you uh, um, create some of your limbs. I mean, could you just talk a little bit about how that collaborative process, I guess, is the thing that really does keep you honest when creating these these external identities, these these artistic products that you're putting into the world. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you mention that because most projects have such a big collaboration team behind them. Mm. So, I mean, sometimes I kind of think that part of my job really is sort of curating, yep. <laughs> curating that team. And I think that auditioning and curating the team is just so important, you know, because successfully doing that, it means that you don't have to check anyone along the way pretty much is that you know people just kind of come into the same page and everybody has the same goal and I mean I don't talk about this too much but one of the key components of a lot of the projects that are public out there has been bringing together teams from vastly different industries together Mm -hmm. you know bringing in hackers and engineers and, uh, and and scientists and people that are working with different mediums to traditional kind of entertainment industry and bridging them together. Most of my work is a result of, uh, you know, it's like an octopus brain. It's like, you know, this is the result of a lot of people's uh, intentions and, and, uh, and creative ideas together. And so from that perspective, it's like there's a certain kind of parameters that I guess I keep, you know, as a performing artist because Mm -hmm. I, and I usually give those parameters really clearly, you know, these are the parameters that we're working on and this is our goal. Let's just make something happen, you know, but at the same time, I guess, you know, a lot of these visuals are representation of, of a larger community and a larger thought process that's, that's happening, you know, and finding like-minded people from both of those spectrums is very interesting i mean and for sure one of the things that i'm very interested you know going forward is actually establishing that community or representation of that community beyond uh kind of work just you know that's just my personal work and that is something i'm really passionate about and that i'm working on at the moment because i think that the conversation about the future and especially the future of human culture and lifestyle needs to be really broad. And mm-hmm. I genuinely think there needs to be like a new movement of some sort of like-minded people being able to discuss that because that's really has been the success behind my work is being able to come together with creative people that share you know my vision and the feeling about the future well that's that's why it's futures because these things are mm-hmm. plural there's a multitude of influences it's important to give space to those influences see what happens when those influences cross pollinate and see what ideas they birth out into the world and then how those ideas can then reflect on the world and become actual in either future science or technology and 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 that point i have to ask what technology are you most excited about what can we next expect from the Modestiverse? I think that everything evolves around 
the connection with the more sort of hidden data within your body mm. and the outputs of that from a creative sense, from a medical sense, from all kinds of sense. I think that elegantly having a communication between your physical body and technology kind of really fascinates me. Mm. So I'm, I'm looking at all of it, you know, from, from, uh, I, I guess I'm, I'm waiting for the moment for, for the senses to be more sophisticated because external senses are kind of limited at the moment and anything internal seems kind of like Frankenstein vibes. I'm very kind of closely watching the more sort of elegant ways of how we can mostly just spend less time staring at screens as well, <laughs> you know? So talking about hyper-realism, I actually believe that that is what's going to happen is that, mm -hmm. you know, because everything is just happening through our eyes at the moment. And I genuinely believe that we will be able to connect with technology in a more seamless way so that we're spending less time just staring at screens and staring straight into the metaverse. And I think that the, the metaverse is our imagination, you know, and, and the, there's a visual representation of our imagination that's, that's happening. It's being developed so strongly right now. And I, and I genuinely believe that, um, you know, it can become sophisticated enough for it to be, you know, overlaid a reality and just, having this extra dimension exist that isn't just in a box and mm -hmm. that would be really cool that's the thing that i'm looking forward to this is it's about generating those feedback loops i mean that goes back to cybernetics exactly. the real fascination was the feedback loop between the between the data that the body can create the digital environment how that can then affect the body and how it generates data i mean just staring at a shiny glowing rectangle can create a form of anxiety and to be able mm -hmm. to capture that feed that back and and do something interesting and performative with that that seems like the place we should be starting with the body as a body of knowledge, as a form of technology in its own right and exploring what we can do with that raw material. The raw material that you said is the last thing that we actually really truly own. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Feedback loops, it's yeah, it's it is it is all about that. So I think I think that you've uh even even though you don't know, but you've you what you've said is yeah, it's it's exactly where we're at right now. Well, I hope we're going to get some interesting feedback on this interview. And I, I just have to say thank you, Victoria, for being a guest on the Futures Podcast. Great. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you to Victoria for revealing the process behind designing unique visions for the future. You can find out more about her work at victoriamodesta.com. If you like what you've heard, then you can subscribe for our latest episode. Or follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Futures Podcast. More episodes, transcripts, and show notes can be found at futurespodcast.net. Thank you for listening to the Futures Podcast.